first to James chapter four, as stated, and we will start there. James chapter four. Let's start in verse six to get a little bit of context. James chapter four, verse six says, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's stop there. You take a look at verse six again. He's talking about two different relationships. The first is your relationship to God and says that if you're proud, God will resist you. But then says, after stating that we should be humble, we should submit to God and then resist the devil. So he really gives you two options. You either submit to God and resist the devil or God resists you. And I think it's pretty obvious which side we want to be on in that case. Amen. So we want to resist the devil. Now, how do we do that? First step, according to this in verse seven is as it states, therefore submit to God, submit to God. That's a phrase that we'll spend a lot of time focusing on. I would even add that resisting the devil means submitting yourself to God. And that means obedience. If you are obedient to the word, if you were obedient to what scripture says at every point, you would be fully resisting the devil. There's a lot of talk in, especially the more charismatic world or, or circle of Christianity that resisting the devil is about a certain type of prayer, or it's about, you know, rebuking the enemy with certain types of words or uh, rebuking the devil for certain temptations. And oftentimes it's way more focused on what you say to the devil or what you might say to a demon or whatever. However, in this scripture, it's clarifying that resisting the devil is as simple as submitting to God. If you are fully submitted to God, I guarantee you, you're not going to have to be rebuking the devil verbally all the time, right? In fact, you'd probably just be playing the devil's game all the time if that's what your life was like. If he knew you weren't submitted to God and you weren't going to be obedient to the word, you could rebuke him all day long. But if the devil knew you were still going to disobey the word, he wins. Because when you think about it, Temptation is not something that is unnatural in the sense of what we're born with. Being tempted is a result of having a flesh, body, and mind that are fallen. We're born with that, right? So even if, think about this, even if the devil didn't exist at all and we remained in a fallen state, you'd still have a mind and body that would tempt you. The devil only gets access to our lives and only gets access to tempting us because we have a mind and body that are vulnerable to being tempted. But if you were fully submitted to God, then there is no temptation the devil could bring against you that would succeed 
And therefore, as the scripture states, he would flee from you. Which we'll also get into more as well. What does it mean that the devil flees from a person? So those are some initial points. I would sum it up by saying resisting the devil, as it states, is necessary for him to flee. And resisting the devil means submitting yourself to God in obedience to his word. If you want the devil to be not in your life, resisting him is necessary. And second, resisting him means submitting yourself to God in obedience to his word. We'll start with that. Go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. We're going to look at a couple verses in Luke four. And then also in Matthew four, those are two accounts of the same experience that Jesus has in being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And it also states in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. It begins the verse by saying that he is not somebody that can't sympathize with our weaknesses, which means that he does sympathize. The reason being that he became a man himself and was tempted in every point that we are. So if you're looking at the, if you're going to look at the roadmap to successfully resisting temptation, Jesus is the perfect example because he's the human being that did this successfully. His example is perfect. So Luke chapter four, and I'm actually going to have us read verse 13 first, and then we'll move backwards. But verse 13 of Luke four. Thank you. Says now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Where it finishes by stating he departed from him. That would be the devil fleeing. And notice that the devil departed after he'd ended every temptation. The one thing that you'll learn about this is that when the devil has tried everything he's got against you and it's not working. That's when he flees the most that he ever will. And with Jesus, it says that he departed until an opportune time. Now that opportune time didn't come again until Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. Cause that was when he was at his uh, vulnerable state before going to the cross. And the Bible says Jesus became weak when he was crucified. He was crucified in weakness. Scripture says, so that point when Jesus was going to die was when he was weak again. This is the time at the beginning of his ministry where he was also weak because this passage states that he had fasted for 40 days. So physically is in a very weak state. And literally what happens here is the devil levels against Christ. Every temptation he has, it only records three. In this passage, but there was more than three because after it goes through the first three, it says when he had ended every temptation. So there's more than just the three that you're reading about here. He was tempted a lot. Everything the the devil had came against Jesus in this one 40 day period of time. Now imagine you in Jesus shoes. Okay. 
in your current condition. Imagine you haven't eaten anything for 40 days. And on the 40th day, the devil comes along and everything he can possibly think of to tempt you with all at once on that 40th day. I don't think any of us would survive that. No way. And this isn't just temptations to sin. This is like things like temptations to perform a miracle, right? Because the first temptation the devil brought against Jesus was, hey, if you're the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And he had full power to do that. Jesus could do anything, right? So he says, hey, I know you're hungry. Just do a miracle. It's easy. You're the son of God, right? Just make bread. And Jesus was so submitted to God that he wouldn't even do that, even though he had full power to, right? So there's a lot that happens to Jesus here. And the devil fled from him or departed from him after he had ended every temptation. Now, what that tells you is that the devil, this includes demons, flee from and avoid believers that are greatly obedient. It's that simple. Demons don't free from, flee from believers that rebuke them a lot in prayer. They flee from believers that are obedient. It's that simple. The only reason Jesus's verbal rebukes worked here, which we'll get into that more, were because he not only stated to the devil what the word of God said, but he did it. Jesus wasn't going, I rebuke you, and then sin. <laughs> right? He would state, it is written. He would state the scripture and then do what the scripture said. It was his obedience that overcame the devil. Back to James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We sum it all up again. So resisting the devil is necessary if he's going to flee. Resisting the devil means submitting yourself to God in obedience to his word. And the devil will flee from and avoid believers that are greatly obedient or that are greatly submitted to God. It's that simple. Notice how quickly, and this, this, this is any level on which the devil or demons flee. Notice when Jesus, during his ministry, would cast out demons, how quickly demons came out of people. Snap of his fingers. A single word, the scripture says, demons would leave. At a single word. That is another example of the devil or demons fleeing. In this case, from a person's body, Right? They fled because of the presence of Jesus, not just because of the fact that he was the son of God, but because he was fully submitted to God, fully obedient, fully self-controlled, had overcame every temptation after 40 days of fasting. At his weakest point, he did not yield to the devil even for a moment. That's why all those demons fled from him so quickly. That's what intimidates darkness. It's not your rebukes. It's not your prayers. It's your obedience. That's what Satan hates. That's what scares him. Amen. All right. So. Let's get into some more specifics. I'll have you go to Matthew chapter four. We're just going to look at a different, different version of the story. Matthew four. Like I said, we were going to work our way backwards from the story. So we started by saying that 
the devil left him after he had every had ended every temptation. Verse 11 of Matthew four says that the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And then go to the top says verse one, Matthew four, verse one, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Verse four. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Okay. So first thing we're going to look at is that the devil is resisted when you resist temptations to sin and choose to obey the word instead. Again, it's all back to obedience. When there's a temptation to sin and you don't, and instead do what the word says, that is resisting the devil. You see that here in Jesus's example, because the devil comes to him with specific temptations. The first one is work a miracle, command the stone to become bread. Jesus's response is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We'll talk about that more later in the terms, uh, in terms of the importance of having the word, but we have to start by recognizing that the temptations to sin were the attacks of the enemy. Resisting those temptations is to resist the devil. Okay. Now, the devil himself and demons can tempt us to sin as in they can personally do that. This is one example with the devil himself where the devil specifically came to Jesus and leveled these temptations. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse five is another one. It refers to the devil again as the tempter. First Thessalonians three and verse five says for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith lest by some means, the tempter, that's the devil had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. This is where Paul expresses a concern that everything he had taught to the believers and all the time that he spent with him would have gone to waste. If the devil had led them astray, he's concerned about the devil tempting people, right? So that lets you know that the tempter, which of course is Satan, can personally tempt people. In addition, the Bible says in James chapter one, that we're tempted when we're led away by our own lust, our own desire, and then enticed. So go to James chapter one. Next. A few books later. James chapter one. Verse 13 is where we'll start. James 1 verse 13 
says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but remember, in addition to the devil or demons personally being able to tempt, what they use to tempt is our own desires, right? That's why it says everyone's tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. So again, if you had no desire in the fallen mind and body to sin, then you would not be tempted. For example, you can think about this in small things. Like there are certain sins that either we never dabbled in, we never touched, nobody showed it to us, nobody introduced it to us. And as a result, those things aren't temptations to you because the flesh has not tasted of it yet. And therefore there's, there's, there's no desire, right? Like for me personally, I've, I've had very, very little exposure to alcohol. That has just never been a thought. Alcohol is not a temptation for me. It's a massive temptation to a lot of other people, right? But there are other things in my life that are temptations for me that won't be for someone else, right? The reason why is because I don't have desire in certain areas where other people might and vice versa, right? So again, you can only be tempted where there's lust or desire, right? Now, those lusts and those desires, the Bible says, are in the flesh and the mind. It talks about this in Ephesians 2. I don't have it written here, but we should turn there just so I can introduce it to you guys. So go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2. Ephesians 2, verse 2. talking about being dead in our sins and says in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience is talking about the influence of the devil. Then it says among whom that is among other sinful people. Cause we all once were that it says we are, also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Here's the key phrase. Fulfilling the desires of what? The flesh and of the mind. You are born with a mind and a body that have sinful desire. It's called the sinful nature, right? We're all born with that. We inherited it from Adam. James 1 says you're tempted James 1 says you're tempted when you're drawn away by that lust and desire, which is in what? Your mind and your flesh, which is your body, right? Now, this appears problematic at first because if your mind and body are together for sin and against God, you're outnumbered. <laughs> because the Bible says you have a spirit that's perfect, right? But if the mind and the body are against the spirit that's singular, you're outnumbered. That seems, like I said, kind of problematic, right? But that's why scripture says when you're born again, the spirit of God comes to dwell in you. It says it gives you a new heart. 
it then goes on to say, this is Jeremiah's words, that God writes his laws on your mind so that by his spirit, he will cause you to walk in his commandments and statutes, be obedient to him. So here's the key. First step, you get saved. This Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Now you have the Holy Spirit and your spirit teamed up against the flesh and the mind. And any amount of God outnumbers any enemy, right? So now your spirit plus God's spirit far outnumbers the flesh and the mind, right? So now who's stronger? God, right? So is there any excuse to say that you're always going to be weak your whole life against sin? No. Now, if you walk in the flesh and stay thinking about sinful things, then yes, of course you'll be weak because you're not paying attention to the spirit, right? But again, back to Jeremiah, it says he will, after you're saved, second step, write his laws on your mind. That's talking about your mind can change. This is so important. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, this, which is also in this list here, that the spirit indeed is willing or able, but the flesh is weak. So your spirit and of course the Holy Spirit with you are willing and able and ready to obey God every single time without fail. Your flesh is weak and will always be weak, but that doesn't have to be a problem. The reason why is because your mind can be changed. Your mind can be renewed. That's why Jeremiah says what causes you to walk in obedience is God writes his word on your mind. Your mind leads your life. Your body will do whatever your brain tells it to do. That's how life works. If your mind stays the same after you get born again and you don't meditate on the word, you don't renew your thinking with new information from God. You're going to live your life the same way, or at least it will be very hard not to. But if you read and study and meditate on the word and you let it change how you think, now you have your spirit, the Holy Spirit, and your mind that are all against your flesh now. And I can guarantee you the flesh is going to have a really hard time winning if that's the case, right? So again, it doesn't have to be a problem that the flesh is weak because if your mind is renewed, your flesh will submit. So again, if we go back to James, uh, James 1, the sinful desire of our own flesh or mind can tempt us. That's what I have written in the outline. That's again from James 1. But the lust and desire for sin, which comes from your mind and body can be weakened by your mind being renewed. So you do not have to stay in a condition where you always have these overpowering, overwhelming lusts and desires for sin in your mind and body. Because if your mind is renewed, your desires change. And when your desires change, what happens to the devil? He flees because his temptations stop working. And when they stop working, he runs away. That's how it works. You want the devil to flee. Your desires have to change and your desires change by your mind being renewed. This is so important. 
So to finish out the second section of the outline, I have written here that it's referring to the flesh and mind. It is desire for sin in a weak mind that makes it hard to resist temptation. Back to Matthew 26, 41. That's why Jesus said the flesh is weak. Just the way that it is. You can't, you're not going to be able to change your flesh. Only thing that'll change that is when Jesus returns. That's when you get a new body. Until then, the flesh is going to be weak. And you're just going to have to get over that. Right? <laughs> but again, it's desire for sin in a weak mind that makes it hard to resist temptation. Now, where believers can get wrapped up or entangled is that we have these moments where we're tempted to do something and we feel like we don't have the power, but we try really hard to resist. We try really hard and we fail. And then we wonder why we can't be obedient. Even though the Bible says time and time again, time again to submit to God and resist the devil, but it's so hard, right? And then we can beat ourselves up for it. We get really discouraged and then we're not reading our Bibles at all. And then it just gets worse. And it's a downward spiral until you're sad and then you die. Okay. <laughs> not a great life, right? So it's hard. None of us are saying it's not hard. It is hard, right? It's hard. If your mind isn't renewed. There are preventative measures that you can apply to your life so that resisting temptation gets easier. Again, it is hard if you don't have a renewed mind. If you do have a renewed mind, it gets easier. And the more that you submit to God and continue to repent, the easier and easier and easier it gets to resist temptation. That's just how it works. So if you want to be stronger against temptation, you have to start by renewing your mind, changing your desires, start obeying, to the best of your ability, and the more you renew your mind and obey, the easier it gets. That's the process, right? It's a growth process that requires preventative action. And that's what the word is for, which leads us to this third section here. Starts by saying, if the sinful desires of the flesh and mind are overcome and the mind is renewed, temptation will become less and less powerful and it will be easier and easier to resist the devil. So the key is having a sound mind or a renewed mind. Next, I have having the sound mind that's needed to resist the devil requires, and then here's the list of what it takes. Number one is learning and obeying the word. This goes back to Matthew 4, where Jesus said, in response to the devil's temptations, it is written. He knows the word. If he didn't know the word, he wouldn't know what God says to those temptations. You'll find that one of the things that trips us up the most is that since we have basic knowledge of right and wrong, we get led astray by these smaller deceptions that are given opportunity because of a lack of knowledge where we might be ignorant about certain things. And so the devil's not going to come against you with stuff that's obvious. Once you mature a little bit, he's not going to get you with obvious stuff, right? Where he gets us is when there's that smaller thing, those little compromises, right? Like, I mean, it's probably okay that I do that. I mean, I don't know about a scripture that says anything against that, right? But I guarantee you there's a scripture for everything, right? 
lack of knowledge is the problem. And so when we don't know the word, we make compromises because we don't know, we, we can't really see that it's wrong, right? And then you start down that road and it just gets worse. And then before you know it, we're back in that downward spiral to being sad and dying, right? So we want to avoid that. And if you want to avoid those little compromises, that's why knowledge is so important. What does the word say? And, and understand what the word says, right? So learning and obeying the word, especially learning it as step one, is so essential. That's how you will equip your mind with what Paul calls the sword of the spirit to strike down all the wiles of the devil. And then gives you deeper knowledge of right and wrong in every situation so you know what the right decision is. And then, of course, you have the power to do that right decision by submitting to God. So learning the word comes first. Second, this is really practical, is avoiding situations that cause temptations. Good reference for this is Romans 13, 14, which we'll go to next. Romans 13, verse 14. Actually, 13. Chapter 13, verse 13. Give us a little more context. It says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Here's the solution, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You want to avoid the sin it talks about in verse 13 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and then make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That means avoid situations or destroy opportunities that would cause temptation, right? A really obvious example is like if somebody's trying to quit drinking, well, they definitely shouldn't go into a liquor store or they shouldn't have alcohol in their house, for example, right? That would be a situation where there's an opportunity for temptation and therefore it's easier to be tempted. Right? Whatever you can do to avoid putting yourself in situations where you'll be tempted is what you should do. Right? In some cases, it's not that simple, depending on what the situation is. But whatever you can, again, whatever you can do to avoid those situations, you should do. Another popular teaching of Jesus is, this is in Mark 9 and in uh, Matthew 5, where Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and cast it from you. Or if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you because it's better for you to enter into life maimed, having one hand or one eye, than to enter into with a full body into hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die, right? So basically he's saying no matter how much it costs you to be obedient, it's always going to be worth it because you definitely don't want to be in hell, right? Do not want to do that. So that's another example in Jesus' words, destroy opportunities for temptation. If something causes you to sin, then get rid of it, right? If it were possible that your own hand could cause you to sin, he said you should be willing to cut it off. Now, we know that that's not speaking literally, simply because your hand doesn't cause you to do anything. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, lusts, murders, right? So, nobody go and actually cut your hand off, <laughs> right? His point is get rid of anything that would cause you to sin and be aggressive about it. Imagine how aggressive you'd be against repenting if you were actually willing to cut off your hand. 
right? You'd have to be really passionate about not sinning if you're willing to go that far, right? So he's saying with that same mindset, that kind of aggression about it, you should really want to turn away from sin, right? You have to want it. In wanting it, get rid of those opportunities. Wherever possible, destroy opportunities to be tempted. That's something practical. The last thing, number three, is building self-control. This is so important because, again, if we go back to the example I was using earlier, if you're in situations where you're tempted and it's really hard to resist and you don't know what to do and you're trying to obey God, but it's just so hard and you keep falling. And let's say you're doing your best. You're reading your Bible. And man, you read your Bible three hours a day. Okay. And you've gotten rid of every possible situation you can think of. And still, it's like you keep crossing the lines. You don't know why. Like Paul said in Romans 7, the thing that I hate is what I practice and what I want to do. I'm not doing a wretched man that I am. It will deliver me from this body of death, right? We've all been there in some way, shape, or form. So I'm I'm saying all that because you can do all those things and still lack something, which continues to make it hard, and that's called a lack of self-control. Self-control has to be built. You don't just wake up one day having perfect self-control. Now, the way that Jesus did it, this is not to say you have to do exactly this because Jesus was Jesus, okay? He fasted for 40 days. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, which we'll turn to next, the writer says something really important. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So run the race, do it with endurance. And he says, lay aside every sin, every weight, every distraction. This is what is desired for us. Don't be sinning, right? Run the race. Now, If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul tells us some insights about how you run the race well. And he adds to what the writer says here in Hebrews. So again, Hebrews 12 is saying, lay aside sin and run the race well. Paul, again, gives us details about how you do it. 1 Corinthians 9 in verse 24. says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now here's how he tells us what we have to do. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That Greek word for temperate means self-controlled. The same word for self-control that you find in Galatians 5:22, where it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, finishes with temperance in the King James version. That's self-control, right? So again, Hebrews 12, run the race, don't sin. Paul says, if you want to run and run well, you must be temperate. That's self-controlled, right? Now, keep reading. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Verse 26, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Pause there. He's telling us how he runs and he talks about it like fighting and not beating the air. 
In other words, he's not wrestling temptation and beating himself up wastefully every time he fails. He's saying, I'm not going to do it that way. That's a waste of time, right? Here's what he does. Verse 27. How do you build temperance? How do you build self-control? I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. If you want to run the race well, that essentially means follow Jesus faithfully and obediently all the way through to the end of your life. You want to do that. He says you must be temperate or self-controlled. The way you achieve that to run well is to discipline your body. That is why you see Jesus fasting. Fasting is a discipline for the body. And it builds your self-control. Same thing with exercise. That word for discipline, I discipline my body, King James Version translates it best. The word literally means to beat your body. That essentially means disciplining yourself to be able to build that self-control or temperance should be painful. It should be uncomfortable. It should feel like a fight where if it's exercise, if you're able-bodied and you can do that, exercise is meant to be hard. If it's fasting, it's not just skipping a meal. It should be hard. It should be uncomfortable. That's how you beat your body. And Paul says, that's how you build the self-control that you need to run well and lay aside every sin. Now, I'm saying this is a process, like I stated earlier, because, again, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning with perfect self-control. This is an active effort of your life to discipline your body. Remember when we were talking before about how the sinful desires come from, from the flesh and the mind, and we talked about how you're un, outnumbered before you're saved, then you get saved, the Holy Spirit's with you, now you outnumber the flesh and the mind, but the mind is still thinking on things of the flesh. Your mind is still weak. Now think about this. If you're renewing your mind with the word every day, your mind is changing. And you use your mind to determine you will discipline your body. Your flesh, even though it's weak, will be in subjection to a renewed mind and your spirit every single time. And it's not going to have a single say on how you're going to live your life. But just like reading the word is an active daily thing in order for your mind to change. Gaining self-control for your body is exactly the same way. It is a consistent, concerted, daily effort. This doesn't mean you never eat again, of course. What it does mean is you have to make a decision. I need to discipline my body. I must, as intentionally as I renew my mind, if I'm going to be strong against sin. So, I will exercise. I will fast on some decided amount, whatever that will be. And I will make sure that it's uncomfortable. And everyone's at a different level. Some people can exercise for three hours. Some people, 20 minutes. Some people, 10 minutes, right? Everyone's at a different spot. Some people can fast a meal. Some people can fast two. Some people can fast a day or three days. The point is, you got to start and make it a regular practice and you'll grow. It'll get better. But this is how you build self-control. There are other things that discipline your body that are a lot more simple, just like by denying yourself something that is comfortable that you might enjoy, but that sometimes frustrates you when you don't have it. 
You know, like let's say you got to have your cup of coffee in the morning, right? And if you don't, it affects your day. Denying yourself that is a form of building self-control because it's disciplining your body in a way that's uncomfortable, right? So think about it. Any, any habit you have in your life, something that your body has learned to depend on for its comfort, getting rid of that is how you build self-control. And it has to be intentional, right? In addition to fasting and exercise, prayer is so important. Every time the Bible talks about fasting, it always ties it together with prayer. Every time. So when you fast, let's say it's you, even if you start by skipping a meal, Scripture teaches that you should pray alongside that fasting. So whatever, this is super practical, whatever your weakest point is, this is important to think about. Where am I weakest? What temptation is the hardest for me to resist? Fast and then pray for self-control against that temptation when you're fasting. That is how you'll build self-control in that area. And the more that you build that self-control, the stronger, stronger you will be against all kinds of sin, not just that one. It's just important to focus on where you're weakest so you grow stronger, fastest in that area. Amen? So if we sum it all up, what we just talked about for this last section, you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit's power so that you are able to obey. If you didn't have the spirit, you wouldn't be able to get better. You wouldn't be able to change without the spirit. You're saved. Step one, learn the word to renew your mind. Make your mind stronger. You need the word to do that. Step two, do your best to avoid situations that cause temptation. This is just a preventative measure when it comes to situational awareness. Step three, build self-control actively just as you renew your mind with the word by fasting and prayer and exercise. I guarantee you with total confidence, you practice these in your life. You read your Bible every day. You decide on a schedule when you're going to fast and when you're going to exercise. You push yourself. You keep it consistent. You will build that self-control. It will get easier to resist temptation. You will get stronger. And eventually, as with anybody, we can get to a point where we are able to fast for as long as our body is able to handle it, which is like right before your body actually starts dying, right? Which for Jesus was 40 days. Now, a really, really, really strong and healthy person, 40 days is like, the max for some people it's more like 25 or 27 days what have you depends on everybody's body's a little bit different but the point is you can grow to a point where you have so much self-control that you will deny your body anything and you won't complain no temptation will work against you and that's strength that's obedience right so make this active make this intentional And the benefits, like we talked about earlier, are not only going to be that you'll be tempted less, but the devil, the devil flees. Now, what's so awesome about this is that when the devil was in the presence of Jesus, or when demons were in the presence of Jesus, those demons would flee from others because Jesus was near, right? Whether this was demons fled out of people that they possessed 
or whether demons just left the premises, period, right? So this not only benefits you, it benefits other people as well. That when demons or the devil are present and a believer who is extremely obedient is there, that's intimidating for them and they'll, they'll flee, right? So it's, a, it's even protective for others as well when, when you yourself are obedient to God. An additional thing is that this makes ministry itself to others much more effective because, like with Jesus, demons end up manifesting in people as well. Because they want to flee when somebody obedient shows up, right? And so this allows a person to actually have more opportunities to even cast out demons as well. It's just a natural byproduct. It just happens, right? Not to mention there's other, another benefit that's similar to casting out demons that Jesus talks about in Matthew 17, where the disciples tried to cast out a demon and heal, it was considered this boy that had epilepsy, but it was caused by a demon. They tried to heal the boy and they couldn't. And Jesus said it was because of your unbelief. Then they ask him, or excuse me, after they ask him, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, because of your unbelief, and then finishes his statement by saying that this kind can come out except by prayer and cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. The reason why is because of the, the self-control it builds in you when you do fast. So this can be applied to healings. When people need to be healed, Faith is required. An issue is that we have unbelief. And Jesus is teaching there that self-control also builds your faith so that more healings can happen too. All works of the enemy flee when there's a believer that's greatly obedient to God. It can be a demon. It can be a sickness because you're so given and submitted to the Holy Spirit that everything in you that's of the fruit of the Spirit just grows. Your love, your peace, your joy, your faith, everything grows because your flesh, your mind, and your spirit are all submitted to God. That's how it works. So it's extremely powerful. And you'll just, you'll know that over time, once your personal sin issues are overcome, it's going to start putting you in positions where other people will be so benefited by your obedience to God, that whatever the devil is doing in their life just starts fleeing, whatever it is. And Jesus showed that in his example, demons being cast out, healings, all kinds of stuff. People would fall at his feet and want to repent just because of his presence, right? So this is really just an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do. Back to James 4, 7, resisting the devil by submitting to God and then he will flee. I'll read the scripture in order one more time. James four, seven that says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. Any questions? Okay. Does everyone in the room feel like they know what to do? Okay. Does anyone feel like, I don't know if I can do this? Be honest. Okay. All right. Well, we can help hold each other accountable then.
How's that sound? <laughs> Amen. Okay, I'll just say a closing prayer, and then we'll do offering.